0: Welcome to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. This week in lesson three of Receiving God's Best, Philip Edwards considers principles four, five and six. Firstly, friendship with the Holy Spirit, what kind of person he is and how we are to befriend him. Then hearing and obeying God's voice, something that must be learned and cultivated with care. And finally, the importance of considering what we hear and who we listen to, separating God's voice from all the other voices. We hope you enjoy today's teaching and please head on over to ariseministry.org.uk for all the latest news and events.
1: Okay, welcome to this very strange world of ours. Let's pray before we uh, enter into this uh, third study on this subject of receiving God's best. Heavenly Father, we thank you because you want us to receive the very best from you. Father, we thank you for that, and yet you don't just drop it in our laps or automatically give it to us. We've got to press in, and we've got to live in a certain way that you've chosen for us to live. And so, Father, as you reveal things to us, help us to understand and give us the grace to uh, live the way that you've called us to live so that we might receive the very best from you. Just bless the ears as we listen, the ears of our heart and Lord just touch my lips I pray that we can speak clearly, I can speak clearly uh, the things of God. Father we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen Lord, amen. Okay in our study uh, we started a couple of weeks ago, we opened it with the idea of Trying to discover how to receive God's best in our lives. We looked first at the parable of the sower and we just looked at the good soil. And we saw from that illustration that as Christians who have good hearts, good and noble hearts, we can receive either 30, 60, or 100 fold return on God's investment in our lives. That's Our soil, depending on how good our heart is, it can produce three types of produce, three degrees of produce as it were. It's the good, the better and the best. So even if you're only operating as a a 30-fold return, it's still good you have salvation, you experience uh, the purpose of God in your life, you have the blessing of life, lots of things get sorted out or a lot of Christians are quite content just to live at the good. Others want the better, they press on more but God's desire for all of us is that we receive his best. Uh, In Romans it talks about the good and the pleasing and the perfect. So we want to do everything possible to receive God's best in our lives. We've looked at already two principles. In all, we're going to look at eight different principles. First two weeks, we looked at three principles. The first week was, we must want God's best. Uh, God is ready to give it to us, but we must want it. We must desire the very best from God. As we approach God, it says, God then responds to us. Secondly, we looked at the fact that we must focus on Jesus. It's so easy in ministry to focus on anything else but Jesus. We focus on the poor or we focus on our ministry. We focus on winning the lost. All these are good things because they have a danger of pulling us away from focusing on Jesus, the whole ministry of Jesus and Jesus himself. Thirdly, we looked at the fact that we must meditate or fill our hearts and minds with the Word of God. We looked at Joshua as our example. Remember, uh, the Lord said to Joshua, If you want to be prosperous and successful, which is another way of saying receiving God's best, He said, you must keep your eyes on the Word of God. You must mutter the Word of God. The Word of God must be central in your thinking and in your attitude because lots of other things are trying to cram into our minds, cram into our our time and our understanding. I want to look at three further principles tonight. Uh, so there won't be a lot of time spent on all of them. The first one is, is slightly longer than the other two, but the three principles I want to look at tonight is our fellowship with the Holy Spirit, what it means to be friendly or to befriend the Holy Spirit, secondly hearing and obeying the voice of God, and thirdly what and how we should hear. What should we hear and how should we hear the things of God? So let's launch into this friendship with the Holy Spirit. For many Christians, the Holy Spirit can be sort of a theological abstraction. They don't see him as a person. A bit like, uh, when I say a theological abstraction, a bit like good and evil. Good and evil has no substance to it. It's a concept. Something is good something is evil. There's no substance to the whole thing at all, but we know how good and evil profoundly affect our very lives. And so often people can think of the Holy Spirit as something that's abstract, profoundly affecting their lives, but a concept and an idea as it were. Most Christians, they're happy with thinking about God as a person, They think of God the Father. That's how God is presented. Although God is spirit, people think of him as a father. Jesus said, when you pray, pray our Father who is in heaven. Of course, it's easy to think of Jesus as a person because he came as a person. And we can understand that very simply. But people don't always accept the Holy Spirit as a person. I suppose for hundreds of years we called him a ghost so we didn't do ourselves any credit by that so that was a bit of a silly thing to do because that was the word for it in those days. We we move completely from the idea now of the Holy Ghost. If someone talks about the Holy Ghost you know he's fairly long in the tooth or he comes from a very sort of Pentecostal background I would imagine uh, because we call him the Holy Spirit. The Bible calls him the third person the Trinity. It's very clear about this, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So what kind of person is the Holy Spirit? This is what I'm driving at tonight. We as Christians need to develop, just as we've developed a relationship with God, although we've never seen him, with Jesus who we've never seen, we too have to develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit what is his nature like if we're supposed to develop a relationship with him we need to know what he's like as a as a person and how are we to befriend him it's obvious when jesus walked on the earth people befriended jesus they got close to him they listened to him some even walked with him and ate with him Uh, they had fun together so there was a lot of befriending of jesus how do we befriend the Holy Spirit? How can he be our friend? The person of the Holy Spirit, the Bible is very clear, he's peaceable because we know that the uh, the imagery of the Holy Spirit is often the dove and the dove speaks of peace. So he's, he's a peaceable person. We know he's gentle and we know he has a quiet nature. And, of course, the dove typifies those sort of things. In John chapter 1, 32 and 33, this is what John the Baptist says. He says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and re- remained on him, talking of Jesus. He goes on to say, I would not have known him... I would have not have known Jesus perhaps was the Messiah, except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. So God told John the Baptist that the one he saw the dove landing on would be the Messiah, the one that he had sent. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So it's interesting, this passage, because when anything significant happened in the life of Christ, we see the bringing together of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, always at his birth, at his baptism, at his death, at his resurrection, at all the major points, if you study around them, you see the bringing together of the three persons working in the very life of Christ, The dove that came, let's focus on him a minute, because he is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. The dove is a timid creature. He's nothing like his family member, the pigeon, is he? The pigeon lands on anyone all the time. He's not afraid of anyone. He's not afraid of anyone. Even when you try to whoosh him away, he doesn't go anywhere. He just comes. I mean, I don't think they have it in Trafalgar Square now. I think they don't sell the things, they think they look upon them as vermin and they're not attracted or people can't attract them to themselves anymore. But the Holy Spirit, he comes and he settles on the head of Jesus. Now that must say something about Jesus. It must say that Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, must have made it comfortable and easy for the dove to land on it was something inside of christ that made it comfortable for the dove to come god was trying to show us something it's about having peace in our heart relating to the holy spirit it has something to do with the peace that reigns in our heart jesus wasn't throwing his arms about he was coming up out of the water and the dove rested upon him i'm going to suggest to you but in the same way the holy spirit if we don't respond to him in the right way he will withdraw himself from us i think that's what this picture is trying to tell us there is a way in which we conduct our lives that causes the holy spirit to come and to remain with us have a look at how Jesus speaks to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to take you to John chapter 16. I'm going to read from verses 12 to 15 he's in the upper room, remember, they've had their feast, and tomorrow, within 24 hours, Christ would be dead, and he spends the next uh, four or five hours after they would had their meal together, reassuring them, comforting them, because one of the things he comforts them with, he says, I'm going, but I am going to send someone else to replace me, someone that you are to relate to, you are to have a relationship with, you are to befriend him in the same way that we have built a friendship and a relationship i am sending someone for you to build a relationship with let me read these verses to you john 16 12 to 15 i will emphasize a particular word and it's obvious when i start to emphasize it scripture doesn't emphasize it but i will he says i have much more to say to you this is jesus speaking more than you can bear But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own. He will speak only of what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you all that belongs to the father is mine that is why i said the spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you it's obvious what i've emphasized there jesus has overdone it hasn't he i mean there's a sentence it's not brilliant well it's several sentences but the language has done everything possible to emphasise that the personality, the, sorry, the, the Holy Spirit is in fact a personality. He's not a force, he's not an it, but he is most certainly a he. He is a person who will come to you. And what will this Holy Spirit do when he comes? Well, it says here several things. He will report on what he hears from heaven by bringing us the latest news from heaven so you've got the father and the son in heaven talking dialoguing planning organizing whatever they are doing and the holy spirit has access to them and he is the one who comes and brings what is decided what is spoken about what is going to happen he brings that to us he is he is like the administrator Of the Godhead that's his job to come and to bring it to us he will show us what is yet to come by unfolding the future to us I think a lot of Christians walk around in the dark we're not meant to because we are supposed to become befrienders of this Holy Spirit who will reveal the plans and purposes of God to us he comes to us he is the one that comes let me explain this a little bit more clearly from these particular verses jesus said everything the father has belongs to the son father the father said all authority is yours but here jesus takes it further he says everything that belongs to the father belongs now to the son and everything that the son has the holy spirit administers so everything that the God had, God the Father and God the Son, everything they have in heaven is to be ministered to us. Well, we know that's the nature of God. Whatever God does and creates, he doesn't do it for himself. He doesn't need anything. What they talk about and what they decide to do, it's for us. It's always for us and especially for us, his church, his people. Or the Holy Spirit is the administrator administrator sorry of the total wealth of the godhead everything that the father and the son have the wealth that they have the holy spirit is the administrator of it to the church and all that the father has and all that the son has they have in common but it is the holy spirit who takes the wealth of the father and the son and makes it available to us. Remember that verse in Jones, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. It comes from the throne of God. It comes from the Father and the Son who share everything. It comes to us. So, this is important. You can be a child of God legally and doctrinally, yet live a very poor and inadequate kind of life, unless you relate rightly to the Holy Spirit. It's wonderful knowing the Father and praying to the Father through the Son. It's wonderful knowing that Jesus is the Son of God who died for us. But we need to know the Holy Spirit because he administrates the things of God to us. We ignore him at our peril. We are impoverished if we choose not to understand and relate to him and live with him because the Holy Spirit is the administrator of the Godhead. A modern parable. Imagine you have a friend who is an electrician and you have a problem in your home, uh, an electrical problem. So you say to your friend, will you come and sort the problem out? your friend says well it's my father's business I just can't make the decision on my own to come and sort your problem out I must go and talk about your problem to my father and we will decide how we best sort your problem. It would not be right for me to just come and do the work without sharing all of this with my father. So the father then says to the son go tell your friend I will send somebody around to fix your problem. What you don't know is the business has three equal partners. It has the father, the son, and another, one other. And in the end, he sends the other to help you with your problem. The father doesn't come, the son doesn't come, but he sends the other to help you with your problem. It's him that comes into your home, It's him that you have to make tea for. It's him that makes all the mess. It's him that you relate to. It's him. He's the one who comes. It's not the father who owns everything. It's not the son of the father. It is the one that he sends. He comes from the father. He, your access to him, this other one, was through the son of the father. But you work alongside the one the father has sent it is from the one that is sent that we find out everything about the father see the father doesn't come to us it is the one he sends who comes to us so we ask him all the questions what's it like working with the other two Uh, what's the business like what do you do in the business you can ask as many questions as you like of this one this one who's come to live with you and he will tell you everything he's permitted to tell you about the business about the father and about the son he the father has made him that one available to us something else Jesus makes very clear about the Holy Spirit in John 14 now this is the same event this is in the upper room John fourteen, fifteen, and 18 in the upper room Jesus is talking to them I said for all those hours so from 13 to 18 is is the dialogue of Jesus with his disciples in the upper room or, or with the apostles really but he says this in verse 15 he says if you love me you will obey what I command and Jesus speaking now and I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor what's he saying he says I will send him some send you someone to replace me I'm going but I'm going to ask my father to send a replacement a person to replace me to be with you forever. In other words, this one I'm sending, although I'm leaving you, this one will never leave you. He is the spirit of truth. Again, he, he overemphasized that he's a personality as I read or listen. It says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you, I will not leave you as orphans." So, if we don't receive the Holy Spirit to come and live with us and be with us, he says you will live like orphans, as though there was no one to look after you and to care for you and help you and to protect you. So it's important that we develop this relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. If you receive Jesus as your Savior, he will ask his Father to send you another counselor who is the Holy Spirit. So to everyone who has received Christ as his Savior, the Holy Spirit has been made available to you. He's not a concept or a force or a thing, he is a person, and we need to embrace him as a person, understand him as a person. And if if you're speaking to Jesus, you speak to Jesus as it were through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to us, he's the one that we dwell with. When we say something like, Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, you probably known that song or sung it a few times yourself come into my heart well it isn't jesus that comes into your heart per se but it's the spirit the holy spirit who enters into you and jesus comes to us in the holy spirit he comes to us in the holy spirit jesus is a man he's a man in heaven is a man outside of our universe who's who's living with god but it's the spirit who has come to live with us i would suggest to you that unless we relate rightly to the holy spirit we're like orphans even though we're truly sons of god he says listen i don't want to leave you as though you weren't truly sons of god as though you were orphans as though you weren't related properly to god i don't want to do that it is the holy spirit then who helps us to live as sons of god romans eight fourteen, it says those who are led by the spirit of god are the sons of god Now, I'm not a Greek or a Hebrew scholar. I'll say that to you every time I ever try and trick you with something a bit clever, okay? Uh, You must, you know, so apparently this is uh, a continuous tense, uh, the, the verb there. So it would read something like this. Those who are continually being led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So the leading of the Christian in his life is a work of the spirit of god it, it is not well we we'll just see what god's going to do every moment of every day the spirit of god is with us he's got an ear on what god is saying and he's leading us personally continually in the paths that god would want us to walk with him when we're born again we're born again of the holy spirit of god In order to become mature sons of God, we need a a further ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit. So, everyone who is born again, the Spirit of God has come to them and they are born of the Spirit of God. Now, a lot of Christians don't develop any further relationship with God. Or sorry, with the Holy Spirit. They simply thinking, that's it, the Holy Spirit came to bring me into a relationship with God. We must be continually led, though, it says, by the Holy Spirit of God. Some conservative Christians, uh, they might say, no, I don't want to be led by the Spirit, I want to be led by the Word of God. I'm just going to let the Word of God real my life and so what i find them doing is they're constantly looking for verses in the bible to tell them what to do or to confirm uh, what what they should do they're really they're they're wanting to be led by the word of god but we should develop a relationship with the spirit so we are led by the spirit of god by this third person Of the trinity the one who has access to god whose job it is to lead us the word of god is not there to lead us it is there to confirm often what the spirit's leading is but it isn't there to lead us the church has many who are born of the holy spirit but are not regularly led in their lives by the holy spirit if if you want God's best in your life regarding this, you must cultivate an ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, we always put the word the Holy Spirit. Often, if you look into your Bibles, if a word isn't there in the original, they put it there in italics. And if you've got a Bible that does that, where it says the Holy Spirit, more often than not, it shouldn't be there. It should be, we are led by Holy Spirit, not the Holy Spirit. Because every time it's the, it makes it an object or a force or a thing, which it's not. It is a person. So reading the scriptures and the way that we've been brought into things has actually robbed us of this relationship that we should have with this person the holy spirit he is our personal guide he is the administrator of the riches of the kingdom of god into our lives only he can impart the things of god into your christian experience because that's his job to impart these things into your lives how how would we cultivate a relationship then with the holy spirit Well, first we need to be conscious of his existence, and he is the giver of gifts. Whether they are gifts that have come from God, or gifts from Jesus himself, or gifts of the Holy Spirit, because the Bible clearly states there are three types of giftings, they come as an experience of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to speak continually in the language of the Spirit, which is We speak in tongues. When the Holy Spirit comes, the gift of the Spirit, we don't receive the gift of tongues. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and as a result of him coming into us, we speak in other tongues. He talks with us and through us. He can't get any closer than in the inside, and to prove his presence on the inside, he's happy to talk through us, to sing through us, to praise through us. This leads us on to when we do not know what to pray, we pray in the Spirit. We allow the Spirit to move through us, to speak through us, to groan through us, to sigh through us. So together we allow the Holy Spirit freedom and free course in our lives. And we can know that the faith to receive anything from God And function as a Christian will only flow from the presence of the Spirit of God within us. One final important fact I want to share with you, we must be respectful and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Paul makes this very clear in in Ephesians. In Ephesians 4, Uh, from 30 to 31, he says this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Well, that's saying, listen, you can be offensive to the Holy Spirit. You can be offended. And there are things that grieve him. And if, if we offend and grieve somebody, that person tends to move away from us. He isn't, doesn't want to be close to us. And the more we're offensive, and the more we grieve, the more he'll, he'll move away from us. Do not grieve, it says, the Holy Spirit, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, it tells us how we grieve the Holy Spirit. He says, get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as christ in god forgave you so it's very clear how we grieve the holy spirit if we're bitter angry noisy full of rage and anger and malice the holy spirit distances himself from us as a person he literally moves away now we're still born again we're born again by the spirit of god but this person who we need to value and cherish if we want the best from god he will distance himself from us i remember when i was looking at this uh, something that rt kendall wrote uh, this is a an omnibus edition so there's three books in one ear that's why it's so thick I would never normally read a book this thick I must be honest with you but this is three books so uh th- and the third the third one is the sensitivity of the spirit so he's making the whole point that I'm sort of making tonight him being a person in his sensitivity I just read this little uh, extract from it It says, a few years ago, a British couple, Sandy and Bernice, accepted a call from their denomination to be missionaries in Israel. A house was provided for them near Jerusalem. After they moved into the new home, they noticed that a dove had come to live in the eaves of their house. They were honoured to be living near Jerusalem and were particularly thrilled to have the dove come and live there. They considered it to be something of a seal of approval from the Lord, a confirmation that they were in the right place. So they interpreted it as a sign. I understand it. Sandy noticed an unsettling pattern in the dove's behavior. However, every time a door slammed shut, or if there was a lot of noise in the house, or they raised their voices, the dove would be disturbed and he would flutter off and sometimes it would not return for a good while. This worried Sandy, as he felt there was a danger of frightening the dove off permanently. With this in mind, he brought up the matter with his wife. Have you noticed that every time there's a lot of noise, or if we slam the door, the dove flies away? he asked. Yes, and it makes me feel sad, and I'm afraid the dove will fly away and never come back well said sandy either the dove will just uh, sorry either the dove will adjust his behaviour to us or we really want to make sure we never lose him we will have to adjust our behaviour to the dove watching that dove was a daily reminder to that precious couple it changed their lives forever you might say oh <laughs> That's a funny story, Phil. Uh, how, How spiritually are you trying to get out of that? Well, nothing at all really, but I think it makes the point about the sensitivity of the spirit, how he can be grieved, how our attitudes can actually force him away to some extent. So we're praying, trying to get the administrator to connect with us, at the same time we're being loud and noisy and uh, bitter and aggressive to other people, he won't come. He won't come to us with what he wants to come, because our behavior pushes him away. If we live our lives in turmoil and strife, we'll frighten away the one who can bring us into the inheritance And enable us to live daily lives as mature sons of God. So in addition to wanting God's best, to focusing on the Lord Jesus which is vital, to meditating, filling our hearts and minds with the Word of God, we must befriend the Holy Spirit. We must see him as a person who is to be cherished, A counsellor who is to be listened to and one we welcome to us. Okay, normally we'd have a little break, but we're not going to have a little break. So we've got a soldier on here. Uh, So we're going to move on to the the fifth principle that I have for you. Remember there's eight, so I'll do four, five and six tonight. Then seven and eight, we'll finish them off next week. The fifth principle I have for you is that we must hear and obey the voice of God. If you want God's best you must cultivate and learn how to listen to the voice of God and to obey his God obey his voice our fallen adamic nature is death to God it's it's by the new birth experience that our ears that is the ears of our hearts were opened I said before and i think we said it last week that our hearts are darkened when when sin entered into man his heart became darkened that cut him off from god part of that darkening was that we became deaf we did not hear the voice of god salvation brings us to a point where our ears have become unstopped that we can hear again the voice of god but it's something that we must learn and cultivate with great care. How do we hear? With the ears of our heart. Sometimes we can sit and listen to what someone's saying, but our heart is not receiving what we're hearing with our ears. We've got to learn to cultivate to hear with the ears of our heart. Also, in our lives, there are many vo- uh, voices that are swirling all around us, internally, externally. I just started to make a list here. I got up to over a dozen. and I thought I would better stop because this would go on and on and on. We've got the voice of common sense. You say, well, it's common sense. Did you know that's a voice that speaks to you? It says, don't do that. It doesn't make sense. So we've got the voice of common sense. We've got the voice of conscience. Oh, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. We've got the voice then of fear, the voice of memory, the voice of friends, the voice of family, the voice of your parents, the voice of mentors. We've got the voice of teachers, of pastors, of media, of the things that we read, the things that we look at. We've got the voice of politicians, voices in the airwaves, and we've got Satan's demonic voice as well. So how, how on earth do we hear the voice of God? And these voices from time to time, they do shout very loudly at us, but God often comes as a still small voice. You think, God, just speak up a bit louder. But these other voices seem to drown the still small voice of God out. But if we can detect his voice, it comes with endless wisdom and authority and it seems to cut right through all the other voices that's why you see it has to be cultivated we have to learn how to listen to the voice of god actually the success of our relationship depends on hearing we know this in the marriage situation doesn't it so many marriages and relationships they fall apart because one party is not listening to the other, they're not listening. Communication isn't just about speaking, it's about listening to what is being said by the other person. Let me give you a couple of uh, examples where hearing God's voice is essential. The key to healing our sick bodies, that's what it says in Exodus 15 and 26. He said, God said, if you listen carefully, if you listen carefully, carefully in the Hebrew, again, I'm only saying what other people have said, if you listen, listening, it says in the Hebrew, if you listen, listening, listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention, uh, he's emphasizing it, listen, listening, pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees i will not bring on you any of the diseases i brought on the egyptians for i am the lord who heals you healing is not a question of getting our prayers answered healing is a question of listening and hearing what god is saying if if we are not doing what god is saying but we're praying to be healed 99 cases out of 100, we won't get healed. Because we're not doing what scripture says. We must listen, listening carefully to God. What is God telling us to do? If we do that, then healing will come. It's not a question of praying for it. It's a question of being obedient to what God has told us to do. This means that you are to listen with tremendous care to the voice of God now there are lots of voices sometimes we can't even be bothered to listen to the voice of God we go get a book or we uh, we ask the the vicar or the pastor what's the answer we need to develop the ability to listen to the voice of God. Now, I'm not saying a book or a vicar or a pastor won't give you what God is saying. I'm not saying that. But we we need every opportunity to develop our own ability to listen and not just throw off the responsibility to, to put it on someone else. God doesn't expect us to do that. The second one is the key of blessing in our lives. In Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2, it says this, It says, if you fully obey. Oh, you see, it's always, it's not down to God, this stuff. It's more often down to us. God isn't God who's holding out on you. God is a God who's trying to bless you. But he says, listen, I just won't do it because you asked me to. I'll do it because you fulfill the terms of the covenant. We are in covenant relationship with God. God said, if you do this, I'll do that. We've got to we've got to work out what the covenant is between us and God if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands that I give you today the Lord your God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth all these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God now the covenant that God cut with us is an eternal covenant. The promises of God to bless are both Old Testament covenant and part of the new covenant. He says here, if you fully obey, if you listen and obey, you will not need to pursue the blessings, but the blessings will pursue you that verse where it says, you know, uh, if you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and I'm not going on tithing, don't worry about that, uh, because that will really throw you off if I go on to teaching you about tithing. Bring your whole tithe, and I will so open the floodgates that the blessings will be more than you can handle. That's the point I'm making out of this one. If we do what God says, just as I said, the blessings will pursue you, so the storehouse of heaven will just pour out upon you. There will be more than you can contain. so God is watching over his word all the time to perform his word in your life as you fulfil your part. God is only well he's duty bound he's he has to fulfil his part. Scripture is clear in pointing out the opposite that is also true. That's also found in Deuteronomy, this time 25 and 15. It says this, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and his decrees I am giving you today, all the curses will come upon you and they'll overtake you. So by obeying and following and listening, The blessings come by ignoring or not listening, and listen, if we don't listen, we won't hear, which is the same as ignoring God, then we can't expect the blessings of God to flow in our lives. Failure to hear and obey the voice of the Lord will bring curses on our lives. Hearing and obeying his voice will bring blessings on our lives. Now you say, well, I thought all the blessings and curses were something of the Old Testament. No, no, they've followed through into the New Testament and into the New Covenant as well. In fact, there's over 600 references to blessings and curses in the Bible, so not a subject to be ignored, subject to be looked at carefully. When blessings are offered to us and we reject the blessing, often a curse is is the result of the rejection of a blessing it's automatic not in every case but in many cases it is an example a clear example is when the children of israel had the opportunity to go into the promised land that was full of blessing and prosperity and we find that as they went in there's the list of about i think it's 30 cities that they took one after the other they took them all they conquered the enemy everywhere they went they possessed the land completely, and it was apportioned to all of them. But at the first time when they came to making the decision, God said, listen, listen to me carefully, go into the promised land. They said, no, we're not. So what followed was a curse. Rejecting the blessing resulted in a curse. What was that curse? 40 years in the wilderness. It says, God was angry with them, angry for 40 years. They died in the sand of the desert. Only the younger generation were the ones that went in. So to to not hear what God is saying, therefore not to do what God is saying, it results in bad things happening in our lives. Obedience has always been the key condition for being God's people always whether it was adam and eve in the beginning it was only disobedience that caused all that to go wrong and as you follow through all the covenants and you come to the new testament you you see man's disobedience all the time this is what it says in jeremiah seven twenty two and 23 for when i brought your forefathers out of egypt and i spoke to them i didn't just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices but I gave them this command. Now we think all God wants is burnt offerings and sacrifices. No, no, he didn't want them at all. He wanted obedience. Jesus actually says obedience is better than all the sacrifices. It's about obedience. But I gave you this command. And then he goes on to say, obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people that theme runs all the way through scripture. God's plan is that he will be our God, we will be his people, and he will live in the midst of us. Revelation 21 says that, doesn't it? In Verse 3, it says, now he can be our God, he can come to earth and live with us, we can be his people, and he will live amongst us. He says, Walk in the way I command you, that it may well go well with you, that you might prosper, that you might know the best. So, the first thing that God requires of his people when he brought them out of Egypt, like I said, wasn't sacrifices or offerings or that they, uh, a lot of legal requirements of them, was that they listen and simply obey what God is telling them to do they seem to obey the sacrifices and offerings they were very good at doing that but they weren't very good at obeying they constantly fell down in this area of obeying when God spoke to them this is probably the most concise statement in scripture about what it is to be God's people He said, obey my voice, obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. We like to consider ourselves as the people of God. It's not a term that we use of the church very often, but we are his people. And he says, listen, my people obey my voice. You must listen and obey. Of course, this condition follows through into the new testament because jesus says in john 10 and 27 my sheep listen to my voice i know them and they follow me in other words if we don't listen and follow we're not his sheep we're, we're someone else's sheep we're, we're just doing our own thing so that the whole idea follows through into the new testament we need to listen to what God is saying to what the Holy Spirit comes and conveys to us that God is saying and then we simply need to put it into practice. Abraham if we turn to him for a minute he's set forth in the Bible and is as an example for those who believe we are sons and daughters of Abraham we are children of faith. And so there's many examples or illustrations we can draw from the experience and the life of Abraham that can really help us. One of the ways in which he is an example is whenever God told him to do something, he did it. Instantly he did it. He never went away and prayed about it like charismatics do. He never thought about it and pondered it and and see if God would say something else the next day. I've discovered if God tells me to do one thing and I don't do it he won't tell me the next thing. Why would he tell me step two if I haven't done step one? It's not possible because as we do the steps he reveals more steps to us but but the thing about Abraham, he did what God told him to do whenever he heard the voice of God. Genesis 22, read you verses 2 to 3. Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice in there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. It says, early the next morning abraham got up he saddled his donkey and he took with him two of his servants and his son isaac early the next morning at the first opportunity he did what god told him to do as soon as it was possible he acted on what god said the longer the longer we delay obedience to God's word, the harder it becomes. It is as though either the voice gets less and less, or other voices crowd in on us, or we start questioning whether it was God at all. Now, as God speaks, we've always got the scriptures to be sure that God is saying it. But but God speaks and sometimes he speaks very strange words to us because it's God who is speaking. We want God to make sense and we want God to do a sensible thing and God to always make it simple for us. Now, A negative example of one who didn't listen to the voice of God, I was amazed by this, it's Lot and his wife, remember? They're in Sodom. And God goes to all the bother, and the reason he goes to all the bother of delivering Lot is because of his uncle, or his stepfather, whichever he was, of of standing up for him and making petitions about him, and so the angels are sent in and they said, Lot, you've got to come out with your wife and your children, if there's any son-in-laws, you've got to get out tonight. And it says that the angel had to grab him by the hand and pull him out the place, Well, if there was anyone who was reluctant to do what god has said it must have been lot and his wife of all people you think how stupid that god bothers to send an angel to pull them out and they still won't go and uh, lot's wife god bless her okay she she's all the time wanting to go back and of course the idea is she keeps looking back and hankering to go back so in the end she dies where she is, in the spot. She isn't delivered because she doesn't really want to do, she doesn't want to listen and do what God's want and so she suffered the consequences of it. Whereas Abraham, on the other hand, did exactly what God did and God, God just honoured him as, as a result of it. You've got to be prepared in this world to seem foolish, to, to do things sometimes that no one is going to understand. Uh, even those who are closest to you don't understand. If we believe what people think is wise, we might miss God completely. So sometimes we go and we share what we have or what we believe God is saying to other people and of course they dampen it down for a whole number of reasons. That's not a smart thing to do. 1 Corinthians 3.18 says this, Do not be deceived or do not deceive yourself. If any one of you thinks he is wise, by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise to become truly wise you have to start to become a fool in the eyes of the world that's it so if god's come to you and said i want you to sell your house and give everything away that's really dumb really dumb, really stupid, but God has done that sort of thing with people. God comes to you and says, I want you to take your son, your only son, who is the most treasured possession in the world, take him up in a mountain and stab him to death, and then burn his body. (laughs) You're mad, you see? God does and says some things that are really strange, and so we we can hear what god is saying we can check it out with god we mustn't let the wise of this world rob us of what god has said but at the same time be prepared to be obedient to what he said if i thought about poor old noah Noah's told to build a boat because it's going to flood they don't even live by the sea and it's never rained before where on earth is all this water going to come from? Uh, no one had a clue. Yeah, but he said, no, God has said this. God has said to do this thing. What about Naaman? Naaman comes to the prophet of God to be healed. and The prophet doesn't even come out and see him. He sends a message with a little girl, a servant girl. And she said, my prophet, my master has said, you've got to wash yourself in the Jordan seven times and the leprosy will leave you. And he said, "I'm not getting in that filthy old river. Back in Syria, we've got much cleaner rivers than this." See, so he was thinking some something in the river, some purity in the river, was the thing that was going to clean him. There was something in the waters. He was applying human wisdom, and the prophet said, "Well, that's it. He'll keep his sickness then." So she convinces him, and of course, he gets in and he dips seven times. Once would have been embarrassing enough, but seven times. And of course, the seventh time. He comes out completely clear of his leprosy. And what about the man born blind? I mean, why didn't Jesus say, receive your sight? He'd done that dozens of times before, but he doesn't. He makes mud and he puts it in the man's eyes. And he then says to the man, now go and wash the mud off. Why make it so complicated, God? Why just not make it simple? Why don't you do just... Say simple things so I look respectable, I don't look ridiculous. So he wanders down to wherever he went and washed it off, and that's it, he can see. So that's my fifth principle we need to listen and to obey the voice of God. It brings me to the third one this evening. I want to talk about just briefly what we hear. And how we hear what we hear in mark 4 23 and 25 he says again if anyone has ears to hear let him hear of course god's talking about these ears because we have to first listen with these ears but he's talking about the ears of the heart if anyone has ears to hear let him hear consider he says consider Carefully, what you hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. So there's a real stark warning here from Jesus himself. If we don't listen... And do what he says he will take away from us that which we already have have so look at these principles here if we're born again as I said earlier we have ears to hear the voice of God but we must use them we must use our ears to hear the voice of God he said if anyone has ears to hear let him hear you must listen for God's voice you must listen Number two, the more you give yourself to hearing God's voice, the more God will speak to you. You know this is true. I've I've decided a long time ago, if I'm talking and no one's listening, I'll shut up. Now, I'm presuming you're all still listening. If you all turned off and disappeared, do you think I would keep preaching? No, not for one minute. Oh, I might for the podcast. Uh, Forgive me on that one. I probably would. Okay. But the idea is if you're talking to someone and their phone goes off and they just rudely talk to the phone you don't carry on talking do you but and even if you're talking to someone and you know they're not listening you know they're not even listening to them, but you're saying you just shut up and you think i wonder if they'll notice i've stopped and often they don't even notice oh well they break up a minute later so, what were you saying say, so, no it doesn't matter Now, if we would do that, and I'm not likening God to us, please, I'm not doing that, but I can well understand that God would not carry on talking. In fact, God says here, the more we listen to God speaking, the more God speaks. So, it would appear that we control how much God speaks to us we settle the measure of how much he speaks to us. If we never listen, he will stop speaking. If we listen more and more intently and do the things that he's telling us to do and practice and cultivate the ability to listen to the voice of God, he speaks more and more. He continued, with the measure you use... What is the measure? The measure is how much you hear. With the measure you use, how much you hear, it will be measured to you. And even more will come. So not listening to God means God will stop speaking to us and we won't get anything from him. By failing to hear God, God ceases to speak and, be, and we become spiritually bankrupt. We must hear God must speak to us. He must continually speak to us. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is a principle of God. If you have from God, God gives you more. If you don't have, even what you have, he takes off you. You say that doesn't sound very nice well it must be nice because god did it and it's a principle of god so if we take the principle of the talents he gives one man five talents one man two talents and one man one the one with five talents doubles it to ten the one with two doubles it to four but the one with one he hides it because he's got a completely wrong concept but he's also lazy and he's evil and wicked and everything else that jesus says that he is so god takes the one talent and who does he give it to he doesn't give it to the man with four you would think oh god would have looked at the man with 10 and the man with four and he'd have given that one to the man with four no god doesn't do that he gives it to the man with 10 talents there is a principle that the more the more gives you more and god wants to give you more if you listen to god speaking he speaks more if you don't he doesn't say anything and in fact what he did say to you he takes it away from you this is the principle here see there are Christians who one time were really going for God but now you might know some people like this they're spiritually bankrupt they've stopped listening god when they were listening things were moving as soon as they stopped listening and perhaps were listening to others or listening to their own pride or listening to what the enemy was saying or negative voices they lost everything they had so that is what you hear this last little bit you've done really well tonight is how you hear how you hear We're warned to be careful how we hear, not just what we hear, but how we hear. Luke 18 and 8. He says, Therefore, consider carefully how you listen or how you hear. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken from him. It's this same principle of God of increase or decrease. The more you have, the more you get. The less you have, what you do have is taken away from you. So Jesus repeats the same principle here. We must learn what to accept and what to reject when someone is saying that they are saying the things of God. See, even listening to me, you need to be very careful. You mustn't accept everything that I say. (laughs) say, <laughs> uh, you're, you're defeating the whole object. No, I'm not, I'm not. We have to weigh everything. And because the wonderful thing is, because you had this wonderful personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, your friend, as soon as I start going off course, the Holy Spirit says to you, oh, 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 careful, 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 careful. You don't have to listen to that bit. Now, don't throw everything out, okay? Now, it says this in Job twelve eleven. This is a great verse. It says, does not the ear test words as the tongue tastes food. That's a great little verse, isn't it? Job's full of stuff like that. He really is. Um, I mean, it's hard work reading from Job until you find one of these little verses, then it's great. The ear fulfills the same function in regard to words as the mouth does in regard to what we eat. If we put something in our mouth that we don't like, we don't swallow it, do we? Well, we'd be sensible not to unless we're with company that might think it would be rude if we don't. Anyway, we generally spit out or take out what we don't like. The mouth judges what we should eat. And this verse is actually saying, likewise, the ear, but I'm talking about the inner ear of the heart. If there is something that it is receiving that's bitter or negative or destructive to your faith you don't receive it you push it out you say well I don't think Philip's a complete heretic there's some good stuff in there let's take the meat but any bones let's spit them out we don't want the bones we don't eat the bones we just eat the 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 meat of something so when you listen to someone who is sharing something of God's word to you Or you're reading something and what you're reading doesn't seem to fit in with what you see about God and the Holy Spirit you have to be very careful three more helpful principles related to hearing just verses so we'll finish on this one Romans 10 and 17 it says consequently faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the words of christ christ needs to speak to us when christ speaks from his word to us by the holy spirit faith is generated on the inside of us so hearing god speak hearing christ's words are vital two more verses 2 timothy 2 16 and 18 he says avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. We can fill all of our conversation with total rubbish, and it has nothing to do with the important godly things of life. It's just chatter, and it says it has a danger of being destructive in us, then he highlights two particular preachers who were teaching heresy. It says, among them are Hymenus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. You see, if you're listening to the wrong stuff, Instead of listening, where listening to Christ builds your faith, listening to the wrong stuff actually destroys your faith. Don't think it has, it doesn't have a negative effect. It does. It destroys the faith that you have. The last one I have is 2 Corinthians 6 and 14. It says, don't be yoked with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? another old testament saying really is bad company corrupts good character if we spend our time with lazy people as in proverbs it talks about the lazy man it talks about the fool or it talks about the mocker the person who ridicules the things of god if we spend time with them it will destroy us we spend time again it says in proverbs with the wise those who speak the things of god and then we will be wise
0: thank you for listening to the arise bible academy podcast we hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to head on over to AriseMinistry.org.uk where you can sign up for our next module the holy spirit which begins on the 23rd of november arise ministry a living legacy